Welcome to episode 29 of the Anti New Energy Transition podcast. Today on the US climate bill, which was worth $369 billion. And we're going to talk about it with James Murray, who's the editor in chief of Business Green. Let's go. Now you've got this long term 10 year horizon where all of the companies in all these sectors know that these incentives are going to be there. These very, really quite generous tax breaks. There's a lot of carrot in this bill. Welcome to the Enter New Energy Transition podcast. Today on the US Climate Bill, and it's not really called the US Climate Bill, but you're going to learn about that in a second. But since it's so important that there's so much money by the United States government being finally deployed towards low carbon measures, we want to talk about it and we want to have it on the Enter New Energy Transition podcast. And we're going to talk about it together with a gentleman. His name is James Murray. He's the editor-in-chief of Business Green, which is a news and, and an analysis site on the green economy. You find it under businessgreen.com. And James is also one of the UK's leading commentators on the low carbon economy featuring frequently on radio and television and he's also a very avid tweeter under uh, at james underscore bg and he's uh, i found him because he wrote uh, yeah a story about it and so i'm really happy to actually have him on the podcast hi james how's it going hi thanks so much for having me on james um one word maybe about business green why did you start it what's the what's the point of business green yeah, well, we launched about 15 years ago now, so back before the green economy was the cool coming force. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, the original premise was just there was a big gap in the market. There was a lot of, you know, journalism and reporting about the environment that was kind of based around how all businesses are evil and just doing terrible things. And then on the business press, there would seem to be this sort of slightly dismissive attitude to environmental issues, that this was kind of something for the hippies and a bit of a niche if companies looked at it at all. Um, and our premise right back in 2007 was just, you know, both those views were, were kind of completely wrong, that there was going to be a huge business and investment led transformation of the global economy to try and tackle these big problems that we were facing. And yes, some businesses within that uh, don't act particularly responsibly, but a huge and growing number of kind of innovators and entrepreneurs and investors would try to you know, build a more sustainable economy. Um and yeah, we kind of touch wood, we've been proven, I suppose, right in some regards. You know, the sector's got bigger and bigger. There's been more and more focus on it. More and more of the mainstream press have started to follow these issues. Um, and of course, the equally, the challenges have got a lot bigger. So, you know, we're, we're still very, very busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we actually feel already the implications of what yeah, advocates have talked about for the last 20 years, isn't it? Now we have drought everywhere, not everywhere, but very often this summer again, we had drought two years ago. We had all these wildfires in Australia. Um, we have in Germany last summer, we had uh, all these um, all these flooding. So now we actually see it and we had so much time. But that's why I think it's super important that new sites like yours actually exist to get actually um, give a lot of background as well and on, on uh, yeah on the systems actually that ar around it and that we need to tackle um, in order to get this green economy started and running. So today we're going to talk about this U.S. climate bill, but actually formally it's known the in as the Infl Inflation Reduction Act and the IRA, which I thought would be the Irish Republican Army back in the day, but apparently it's the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's what uh, White House National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy calls a BFD, a big fucking deal. So James, what is this act? What is this bill, and why is it why is it a big fucking deal? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge question because it is an enormous piece of legislation. It's a very, very big act. I mean, what, what it is in a nutshell is it's kind of a very watered down version of the kind of huge sweeping economic industrial transformation act that the Biden administration originally wanted to pass last year in, in the kind of awake, the kind of the immediate wake of COVID that they passed one kind of COVID stimulus package, but there was always meant to be this second longer term, um, bill that basically had almost everything that Biden promised to do uh, in his election campaign. You know, there was there was kind of healthcare reform. There was uh, extension of, of kind of child benefit credits that, that the US has traditionally not had. Um, huge amounts of support for kind of working families, uh, like a big kind of economic restructuring, kind of almost like, you know, Roosevelt kind of, you know, kind of type model, kind of post-war or, or, or New Deal type model. Um, and that got kind of killed by Joe Manchin, who is the, probably many of your listeners will know, the, the US Democrat senator from West Virginia, who is, you know, you know, from a kind of Republican leaning state and, and is much less inclined to support uh, these kind of big economic reforms. Uh, I think in your article, you wrote that he's a cold buddy. Yeah, I mean, he's a longtime supporter of the coal industry. He's taken money from the coal industry. So, you know, he was he's a real environmentalist, basically hated him. He was the bad guy. He killed this original bill. Um, and that, yeah, in the last few months, sort of, he's massively surprised everyone by saying, actually, no, I will pass something. I'm just concerned about the size of it. So there were these very intense negotiations between him and other Senate Democrats, all of whom wanted to pass a larger bill. And uh, to everyone's shock last week, they, they reached an agreement and they, they passed this bill that is significantly smaller than kind of the trillion dollar plus build back better bill that was planned last autumn, but is still an absolutely massive um, package of of spending. Um, you know, that the headline figure is $739 billion uh, that will be mobilized through this act. Um, and it's surprisingly large amount of that is focused on climate spending. So about $369 billion of it are focused on programs that are designed to curb greenhouse gas emissions and are climate focused. A lot of the rest of it's around sort of healthcare reform and trying to remove prescription prices and, and various other things. But But the largest chunk of it is focused on a wide range of measures to try and accelerate the US um, decarbonisation agenda and, and put the country on track to deliver net zero emissions by 2050, which Biden has made his sort of central pledge. Um, so, yeah, we, I, we can go into more detail on what's in it. But the fact is there's, there's just this something that wasn't in any way expected. It was widely thought that Manchin would would kill this bill, that it couldn't happen. Um, and yet a deal appears to have been done. And if it passes through the House, as many people expect, the US will have, for the first time, something that can be described as climate change legislation, even if that's not the headline name of the bill, it still effectively is this. And it's a massive down payment on the the pledges that the US made to the UN um, through the COP26 process uh, to significantly accelerate its decarbonisation efforts uh, through to 2030. Can you maybe give us some numbers on how actually this act is presumed to cut carbon emissions, um, yeah, the US carbon emissions? Yeah, so it's basically the US has a target or the target that the, the new government um, submitted, the Biden government submitted to the UN in its nationally determined contribution or NDC in the UN jargon uh, was that for a 50% cut in emissions against uh, 2005 levels by 2030. Now, people have done various independent groups have done modeling on what this bill will deliver. 
And they reckon it will significantly accelerate the pace at which US emissions are falling anyway. I mean, US emissions are falling because they're already deploying a lot of renewables. They are retiring gas coal plants uh, in particular. So they are falling, but this will, this will turbocharge it. And um, and it's quite a wide range. So some of the analysts have said they reckon there'll be a kind of somewhere between 31 and 44% cut by the end of the decade now with this legislation. Um, others put it at around 37 to 41%. So, you know, it's it's in the ballpark of a 40% cut against 2005 levels, um, you know, four-fifths of the cuts that the US has committed to achieve by that time. Um, and what's interesting here is that the reason there's quite a broad range in here is there's huge variables based on what the bill will do. I mean, you know, it's hard to predict the future, as, as anyone who works in this space knows. But um, one of the arguments goes that, you know, the, the level of spending actually is still massively down on what you need uh, to deliver such a sort of fundamental transformation of an economy. Like if you take that, whatever it is, $360 billion roughly and divide that by 10, because this bill sort of stretches out over 10 years, it's only $36 billion a year, which is, you know, not a transformational sum of money. But then where this legislation gets really interesting is the way in which it should catalyze the private sector. It should leverage in massive investment from energy companies, from automotive companies, from industrial companies who can see the kind of tax breaks and and, and various other uh, incentives that are on offer through this bill. Um, they'll see how this bill will hopefully be catalyzing consumer demand for things like heat pumps and solar panels and the like. Um, and, and they'll start, you know, doing that American thing of kind of putting capitalist powers to work and and they'll they'll bring in much much more investment on the back of this this kind of down payment from the government and of course you know it's hard to predict how that plays out so you could see this sort of catalyzing even more rapid um, emissions reductions than the analysts are predicting and going well beyond that 40%. Equally, as I said, you know, if there's economic headwinds or other problems, um, which can't be ruled out given how volatile everything is at the moment, um, it, it could prove to be less um, exciting than, than hoped for. But the market signal is really clear and it's really loud that, you know, a Democrat government, you know, a Democrat president can actually pass legislation through Congress, which for a long time, we very much doubted, um, and can pass climate legislation, and that will drive more investment into these critical technologies. Yeah. Um, to your point, James, you just said that it's sometimes hard to actually really realize or uh, to kind of project how much particular measures will actually um, decrease carbon emissions. Um, there is a lot of spending or like into significant yeah, new clean tech. Uh, like so there's a lot of R&D funding that's that's also part of this deal. And that you never know where that's going to go. Like obviously when you know, OK, I'm going to give you this tax break and then we envision that there's so much money being crowded in to, for example, offshore wind farms or something, then you have some that you can actually uh, calculate on but if you if you invest into carbon uh, if you invest into R&D then yeah you're not then you don't know if these reactors will work or if you if this new type of wind turbine will be ready within 20 years or five years or 10 years so just to your point it's, it's sometimes it's a bit it's tricky isn't it yeah and I mean again and that's one of the other things that is good about this bill is that it, it kind of is trying to do the whole gamut of decarbonization I mean it is similar it's all governments that look at this closely are reaching pretty much the same conclusions you know, the UK's package isn't as big as this, but it's similar. The big EU package that's come out, um, again, is is aiming to do similar things. It, it's saying, you know, it's focusing on energy efficiency and renewables deployment now and electric vehicles because we know those technologies work. Um, we know they're cost effective and it's providing kind of as, as generous tax incentives and, and other mechanisms of support to deliver those as quickly as possible. And then in the long term, it's looking at, 
how can we support you know r and d and scaling up finance whether it's through loan guarantees uh whether it's through you know kind of conditions on on how you invest in the supply chain and manufacturing to deliver these sort of emerging technologies like carbon capture and storage like hydrogen um like aviation biofuels or aviation fuel greener aviation fuels and all these other areas and it's saying okay how do we get ourselves into a position so that in the 2030s we can start to decarbonize those industries as well um, and in the interim, we go as hard as possible on decarbonizing the grid and delivering renewables and the things that we know work now. Um, you know, and it, it's a really rational approach. And and for a long time, the US hasn't been doing that. And and now it is. Yeah. Let, before we go a bit one more time, a bit more deeper into these different measures, let, let's maybe just have a look one more time at like what actually led up to it. You, you mentioned this Build Back Better Act. We also remember, and we did an episode about it uh, on the U.S. Infrastructure and Investment and Jobs Act last fall, um, which, if if I'm not mistaken, that was actually the climate. All the climate measures were support were supposed to be part of that, but then they were taken out. Um, can can you like why why is it that that now like from you know I have the feeling you read a lot of you know you read a lot of other newspapers you are all around the place like why do you feel that now something was happening because as you also said that Joe Biden was not known as a very strong president that could actually yeah uh, put into place such legislation so what happened in this last year um I, it's hard to tell i mean it's a bit of a mystery because for so many people in, in the environmental movement um and the green business space you know joe manchin has been this sort of this bet noir of the sector and <clears throat> has been dismissed for so long as being a blocker and anything and everything um that, that's needed um and yet you know, have to hand it to him. Joe Biden's always said, "I'm a deal maker. I can work across with with other parties." Um, he's, he's struggling to work with the Republicans, but he can certainly command a very wide coalition within his own party, and he can work with the voices who are um, arguably less progressive on this stuff. Yeah. And he's shown that that can be done. That there's deals to be done. It is, you know, the, the, the White House is very clear. You know, this is a compromise. You know, and in a compromise, no one gets everything they want. But you get something that's workable that can maybe move things forward and then you go again, which obviously a lot of the environmental campaigners are saying now. They're saying we want to go further on this. What did they do to get Manchin on board? I mean, there's stuff in this bill that people who care about the environment deeply opposed to. You know, it does approve more oil and gas driving on drilling on federal land. It does sort of seem to approve, you know, more pipelines that campaigners have been arguing against for a very, very long time. It does include kind of kickbacks to um, the oil and gas industry um, in in certain ways that that again environmental groups would be opposed to, but you know that was all part of the compromise package that that allowed you to also get these tax credits that can deliver a huge boost to clean technology. I mean, people would have to ask Manchin why why he decided to fall into line. I think there was, I think there was a general sense that you know the Democrats did need a win ahead of the midterms. They they needed to be able to show that they've done something with their control of the Senate and the House, regardless of how thin that is. Um, and in fairness to them, it does seem as if they've now done it. As if they've accomplished something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I read another article by the Financial Times and it says, this bill will provide a taxpayer-funded rocket booster to a range of cleaner energies, including electric vehicles, wind and solar output and research on carbon sequestration, hydrogen conversion and small-scale nuclear reactors that sounds like 
the know, all Christmas presents combined for for all the low carbon uh, enthusiasts. Let's put it like that. Um, but when when we talk about these things, there's also some things like small nuclear reactors. That this you know I'm German, so for me nuclear reactors is it's, it's a very tricky topic. Is that, for example, something that 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 is very strongly um, part of the of the discourse in the United States because I've recently read this new book from Bill Gates and he's also a very strong proponent of yeah. that. Like, how how what's your take on that? Yeah, I think I mean the only way they were ever going to get the legislation through was by what's been termed this kind of all of the above approach. Um, and and there's you know pros and cons to that. But <clears throat> sorry, um, you know they are backing everything. There are now these tax credits for pretty much everything. Um, What's really good about them is they're long-term. There's this long-term certainty for developers. Previously, these kind of tax breaks that have driven a lot of investment, particularly in renewables, um, have been short-term. And every time they kind of stop, you get a boom and bust cycle amongst developers. Now you've got this long-term 10-year horizon where all of the companies in all these sectors know that these incentives are going to be there. These very, really quite generous tax breaks. There's a lot of carrot um, in this bill, there's not many. There's not as many sticks. You know, they weren't able to do something like carbon pricing, or or, or standards that say you've got to reduce emissions from factories and power plants. They, they, you know, they didn't have the the the, the legroom, the, the the position to do that um, uh, in what is a reconciliation bill. But they were able to provide a huge array of these incentives and give long-term certainty to developers, and that we'll see you know, projects coming forward on all fronts. So, you know, you are going to see carbon capture and storage. You're going to see next generation nuclear, um, but you're also going to see an awful lot of renewables. Um, and significantly, these tax credits extend to consumers as well. So electric vehicles, heat pumps, energy efficiency upgrades, all of that is getting a boost as well. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of, it creates a kind of semi, I hesitate to say a level playing field, but, you know, it, it, it gives... All of these sectors a chance, and then the market ultimately will decide. You know, if if some of these technologies that may be a bit more controversial don't deliver on their promise, then they're going to struggle to scale, particularly at a time when the, the kind of proven um, cost benefits from renewables now are so powerful that, and they're more established. They're more established than next generation nuclear. They're much more established in carbon capture and storage. You know, they're going to have a full decade run at this before these more advanced um, plants come online. So, you know, there's there's a route by which these clean technologies, particularly renewables, uh, heat pumps and electric vehicles, can kind of absolutely dominate the, the, the US market over the next 15 years. Amazing. And I hope so that this is going to work very well as well. What's there's one thing that's not in in this bill, and that is a carbon tax, and that's something that has been supported by so many activists. When you, when we think about El Gore, um, when we think about you know like all the other like, <laughs> Jesus figures in in the discourse, um, do you think that it's more likely now that we with this bill being passed that we'll eventually have a carbon tax? Because whenever we put a price on carbon, then anything that requires a lot of carbon in the production will be yeah, more expensive, will be less incentivized. So do you think that if this bill actually increased the chance or the opportunity that we'll eventually have one? Or is it saying, okay, we have done enough now, we don't even need a target t uh, carbon tax, uh, get, get, get away? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it remains very unlikely. One of the things that is in the bill is a kind of methane fee. Which, which some people have said is like an equivalent to a kind of carbon tax just yeah. on methane. And, and interestingly, you know, that had support from a lot of the oil and gas companies because they have come out and said they want to reduce methane. 
that they can see the benefit from it and they don't particularly mind a kind of level playing field fee that drives them to reduce their methane emissions because they've already said they want to do it. I mean, that's not true of the whole industry, but certainly some parts of the industry were, were kind of not that bothered about that. So there, there is some there are some sticks in there. In terms of a carbon tax, I mean, it remains politically very, very tough in the US. It, it couldn't be done through what is a reconciliation bill. Um, you'd need a supermajority to get it done. And there's Can no, you maybe I mean, elaborate on that? What I know what it is, but what is it? Yeah, is so that? basically, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an expert on congressional rules either. But my understanding is that you know the reason it could pass through the Senate because it only needed a majority of fifty plus one, and obviously there's fifty Democrats, and the plus one is the, the vice president Kamala Harris. Harris. Yeah. Um, that that is a kind of budget reconciliation bill. It's a bill that has to be focused on spending, and there's quite strict rules on whether you try and put other stuff through there that isn't focused on tax and spend. Um, and obviously, you could kind of argue that would a carbon tax qualify? I'm not entirely sure on the details, but the, the the fact of the matter is, is that a carbon tax is just so politically difficult in the US. It is kind of immediately characterized by Republicans and indeed Manchin and some of his colleagues more in the center of the Democrat Party as just a no-go area. Um, it, it, I'd be very surprised if they did it um, in, in the medium term. In the longer term, obviously, you're seeing talk of carbon border tariffs from the EU and others that might apply pressure for it to happen. But it doesn't, you know, it's it's not likely in the short to medium term. I think it'd be, you know, it's such a big political lift. Although you do have it in regions in the US, you have it in, in California and, and, and other states. Um, but then one of the things that's been really interesting about the bill is a lot of people have said, you know, it kind of is moved past that fixation on carbon pricing. For so long, economists have said, oh, if we put a carbon price on, everything will be perfect. And it's just such a simplistic argument for what is a massive industrial transformation. Um, and in many ways, if, if you want to go down that route, you know, you've got to prove that the technologies work first. You've got to prove that they d deliver at scale. Um, and, and that's what this bill is trying to do. It's trying to sort of, I suppose, create the the framework and the confidence that might at one point in the future allow for a carbon tax because you're decarbonizing and suddenly a carbon tax is much less scary. Let's see. Let's see if that if, if we'll ever see that. I guess we'll see it eventually. Hopefully it's earlier than later because eventually we will have drought and uh, and flooding every year everywhere and then eventually we might the pressure might be high enough. James, thanks a lot for joining me today on this episode of the Net New Energy Transition podcast. Tell me about the Net Zero Festival that you want to talk about for uh, Give It To Me. What's that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, we've been covering these issues for years and we're, we're hosting a festival to talk about them further, actually in person. The first time post-COVID, we're going to try and get all our readers together. Um, so we're hosting this big event um, in London on the 28th and 29th of September, um, all in person. And then the following week on the 4th of October, we have a virtual event for any of your international listeners who can't travel to London um, called uh, NZF, NZF Plus, which will have a load of digital content, uh, virtual content on the Net Zero Transition. So yeah, please do go to the netzerofestival.com website um, and sign up. We'd love it if, you, if you're in London, we'd love to see you. Um, and um, if not, hopefully you can watch it online, but uh, it'll be a fascinating few days of discussion of what is, um, um, as we've discussed, of the biggest economic industrial transformation the world in many ways has ever seen um, and in some and the most important as well so it's a fascinating who's the topic target group is it policymakers is it is it researchers is it is it business people it's, it's primarily yeah so it's kind of all of the above i mean you know the, one of the beauties and one of the most interesting things about this transition is that it does need you know it needs all those parties to come together to work on this so we, we you know as a media brand we're trying to bring people together and, and convene people i mean our primary audience is always you know, heads of sustainability, sustainability execs at, at corporates, at businesses. 
but equally, we, we also write for policymakers, think tanks, uh, investors, um, you know, technology providers, the, the whole gamut of, of businesses and other parties that are committed to delivering this transition. Amazing. All right, James, good luck with your festival. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to check out the international version, that's for sure. Take care. Th thanks, thanks for joining today. Thanks so much, Julius. Thanks for having me. Bye. Hi, folks. That's it for this episode of the Antenu Energy Transition podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. I would be really flattered if you would uh, subscribe to this podcast and maybe even give us a five-star rating either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That would be amazing. Talk to you again in two weeks and stay safe until then. Take care. Bye-bye.